the official podcast of the Florida Panthers, presented as always by Baptist Health, the official sports medicine provider of the Florida Panthers, recording this on September 1st. That means later this month, preseason action will be happening. There will be a Florida Panthers training camp next month. The Panthers will be opening up a new season. So lots to look forward to and lots to look forward to here in this episode of Territory Talk. Doug Plagans, Jamison Olive here with you as always. And well, this week we kick off our preview of the Atlantic Division. We're going to start from the bottom of last year's standings, kind of go team by team, take a look at what some of the other teams in the division have done as they prepare for the upcoming campaign. So we'll be going one by one through the division, previewing the Atlantic. And well, Jamison, it's been one of the toughest divisions in the National Hockey League in recent years. I'd expect that to continue. And I think I think my my prediction right off the top of the show here, I don't think we're going to see four 100 point teams in the Atlantic again. I think the group is going to be a little bit more close together. Last year, there was uh, over a 30 point gap between fourth and fifth. I don't think we're going to see that again. No, Doug, I don't either. I do think it is going to once again be probably the best uh, division in hockey. I think that's pretty safe to say, especially with the teams you have at the top in Florida, Toronto, Tampa Bay, Boston. And then what we're going to get into today is basically how so many of these teams that were outside of the playoff picture last year really made a good push and improved during this offseason. So it's going to be a bloodbath. It's going to be tough. Um, but I'm looking forward to it. It is not going to be a dull night in the Atlantic division this season, I would think. Um, but overall, the Panthers are still sitting pretty. They're still looking good in the division. But like we said, we're going to get into it today. The, the, the Montreal's of the world, the Detroit's, the Ottawa's, those teams aren't pushovers anymore, and it, it's going to be a challenge. So uh, I'm excited. I'm excited to dive into it today. But before we get into that, Doug, it, it's a little bit of a NASCAR theme here on this week's episode. Yes. Because you're in North Carolina. You're in NASCAR country at your parents' house on vacation. And I yes, was just... I I was just at the Coke Zero um, Sugar 400 up in Daytona with Carter Verhage, and I got to say, it was a blast. I mean, we went to Homestead with a player a couple of years ago, but uh, this time around, uh, Carter was the honorary starter. He was the grand marshal, so he got to do the driver start your engines. He got to ride around the pace car, as did I, and I got to say a pace car at Daytona. It was wild, just the in- incredible you know, corners there, the banks, how steep they are. But a lot of go-cats, a lot of hockey love there, and what I didn't know, this is what I learned there. Joey Logano was chatting up um, Carter Verhage quite a bit. And for those of you who don't know, Joey Logano, 2018 NASCAR champion, so a, a big name in NASCAR. He grew up playing hockey in Connecticut. He was a big hockey player. And not only that, his folks own and operate an ice rink in North Carolina. So he's got hockey. Do it. Yeah, he's got hockey in his blood. And so he was he was he was really loving getting to chat with Carter there. So um, great to see great from Carter. And we'll get into it uh, a little bit more of that in a second. But what I want to get into real quick as I interviewed Carter after we talked a lot about NASCAR, obviously. But here's what he had to say about the upcoming season, because uh, a lot of good stuff and, of course, a lot of excitement. Yeah, it's definitely exciting. I mean, just seeing new guys come in every day and getting the guys back together and everything. I mean, it's definitely really exciting just being on the ice and stuff and competing again. I mean, definitely uh, the break was felt like a long time. So it's definitely, definitely time to get back at it. Yeah, I'm so excited. I mean, uh, felt like the season didn't end the right way last year and I'm just excited to get going again. I mean, had my break and uh, it's uh, just counting down the days right now. 
So you hear that from Carter there. Uh, obviously, he's really excited to get going here, especially for himself coming off a, a year where he had, of course, once again for the second straight year, career high in points, assists, goals, all those great numbers. And, of course, his playoff heroics, 12 points in the playoffs uh, against the um, – Washington Capitals, uh, just a historic series helping the Panthers win around for the first time since 96. So Carter Verhage riding high. But what I love there was him saying, you know, basically the offseason's over for him. The summer's over. They're already back to work. A lot of guys are already at the Panthers ice den uh, getting ready. You know, we're in September now, Doug. It's September 1st. We're recording this episode. Training camp's right around the corner. Rookie camp's right around the corner. These guys are getting ready. They're gearing up and they're ready to go. Yeah, and I got to pay my rent because it's September 1st. So thanks for <laughs> reminding me of that little housekeeping item. But, uh, but it's it's great to be, I guess, this close now to uh, to getting things going. All the off season preparations that all the teams have done, they are uh, they're all coming to full force. I got to say, I got to get out to a NASCAR race at uh, at some point in time. It's one thing on my sports fan list I have not attended, and uh, I'd like to get out to one at some point. So I don't understand the scoring system now. No, like now there's stages and stuff, and yes. I, I don't. I, I have to go back and relearn NASCAR because it's different from when I used to watch it as a kid. Yeah, the uh, they've they've made some rule changes like that. Uh, it does keep the, I think, to keep the entirety of the race uh, a bit more competitive uh, might have been the train of thought there. But I got to get out to a race at uh, at some point in time. To the Atlantic Division preview, uh, Jameson Olive. Uh, starting things from the bottom, and just to recap everybody, because it has been a while since uh, we've looked at the standings. But you had the four playoff teams that got it. You had the Panthers. Toronto Maple Leafs, the Tampa Bay Lightning, and the Boston Bruins at the top. And then you have the Sabres, the Red Wings, the Senators, and the Montreal Canadiens at uh, the bottom tier of the division. We'll start with the uh, Montreal Canadiens in that last place spot. 55 points, 22-49 and 11, the record for Montreal last season. Certainly some question marks for them. They didn't have Carey Price much at all last year. He came back very late in the season, uh, too late to really make an impact or help them salvage their 21-22 their campaign. Sounds like there are a lot of questions up in the air right now in terms of how much Carey Price, if any, they will get this coming season. Obviously, that is the biggest X factor for the Montreal Canadiens because after him, you've got Jake Allen who looks like he's going to be ready to start the season. But are you ready to roll Jake Allen out there for potentially 60 games as a, as a starting goaltender? He has been very good in the past, but uh, can he can he find some of that St. Louis magic again in Montreal? Uh, they have the top pick in the draft, Uri Slavkovsky, who will see what kind of impact he's able to make. They were busy at the deadline. Kirby Doc went in. Uh, this is kind of a, a make or break year, maybe for Jonathan Drouin. I think if you're talking about players outside of Carey Price, he might be the biggest X factor for Montreal if they can get anything out of him. But, uh, but Jamison, I think there will be improvements made for Montreal this year. I think they're going to be exciting to an extent with uh, a lot of the young guys that they have, but because of the other improvements that have been made across the division, I'm not sure I see them getting out of last place in the Atlantic with uh, how competitive this division is going to be. Yeah, Doug, and before we get too deep into it, I do want to also say real quick that all three of the teams we're talking about today, Montreal, Ottawa, Detroit, were all in the top 10 of the athletics offseason improvement rankings. But, you know, as they always say, when you're at the bottom, there's nowhere to go but up. So that's that's to be expected, but still an interesting tidbit. The three of these teams we're talking about all had 
pretty strong off seasons, you know, compared to what could have been, but starting with Montreal, which was ninth in that list, the key additions, which you touched on a bit, Mike Matheson of getting Dadunov, Kirby doc, a couple of former Panthers there. Always nice to see uh, going out the other way, Jeff Petrie, uh, he went to Pittsburgh in the trade that brought Matheson to Montreal and Alexander Romanov, who went to the New York Islanders. And then another key addition late in the game, they also had Sean Monahan from the Calgary Flames, helping the Flames free up some cap space for Nazem Kadri. So some interesting additions, but I don't think any additions that are really going to move the needle in terms of, like you said, getting out of last place in the Atlantic Division. You mentioned the record 22, 49, and 11, 55 points. Offense was 27th. Defense was 32nd. A lot of that, of course, just the fact they're pretty thin on the blue line. And also they didn't have Carey Price, as you mentioned, because Carey Price, even behind a not great team, can still steal you some games and help the final record at the end of the season when he's on top of his game. You mentioned Slavkovsky. Is he going to make an impact right away? I haven't heard anything yet about whether or not he's going to be on that roster opening night this season or if they're going to leave him uh, to get some seasoning before they bring him in. Because obviously the Montreal Canadiens aren't necessarily the best situation right now in terms of development. They're still very much rebuilding. They don't have a ton of really solid veterans to help these young guys come along. They're working their way uh, towards that now, but they're farther behind in their rebuild and teams like the Red Wings are and the Senators are, who we'll get to here in a couple minutes. But looking at the leading scorers too, Nick Suzuki, 61 points, Cole Caulfield, 43 points, but that was only in 67 games. He did miss some time. And then it really kind of falls off a cliff and you start having guys like Mike Hoffman, another former Panther, 35 points, but they got some, they got some players. They got, you know, they got Gallagher, they got Josh Anderson, not guys, like I said, they're going to really, you know, give you 50, 60 points and break out, but they got some players, they got some depth pieces. Um, but I think the interesting thing is obviously Suzuki and Caulfield, two guys and they're very early twenties. Um, this along with, you know, Slavkovsky coming in are kind of the young core of the Canadians. They're really building around for the future. So I think how I kind of look at this season for the Montreal Canadiens is, I think I could throw them in the group with maybe one or two other teams. The only one I can think of off the top of my head is probably the Arizona Coyotes, the two teams that probably really aren't trying to win this season. I'm not saying they're tanking, but they're also not trying to field the most competitive team because there is a guy in the draft this year, Connor Bedard, who looks like he's going to be an absolute stud in this league. So every team wants him. The Montreal Canadiens probably are going to try to get him more than other teams because uh, they obviously know what kind of, you know, change in effect he could have on that franchise just an all-world talent like Connor Bedard who absolutely just lit up the world juniors for Canada here a couple weeks ago so I think the Canadians are going to be a more stable team I think they're going to be a game-to-game -game better team I think they'll be more consistent a lot of that also depends on the goaltending and what we get there but do I think they're better than last no I think they're still going to finish last in the Atlantic but you look at their point total 55 points that that's not a lot of points Doug do I think they can get more than 55 points? Because I think that put them almost 20 points behind the seventh place team. Yes, I think they're going to get more than 55 points. I think they finish maybe right around 60. So not a lot more, but I do think they're a little bit better this year. And I think they're continuing to set themselves up for a better tomorrow in the future. Well, a couple things going on that 10 to 15 point improvement for them would be a significant improvement. That's a big improvement for any team that still has them pretty firmly in last place in my mind in the Atlantic, even if they make a 10 to 15 point uh, improvement. Marty St. Louis, though, was huge for them. You could tell when he came in to the Montreal Canadiens, and now he is going to be the uh, – he, he had that interim tag uh, pulled off. So now that he is the bench boss moving forward for this team, you could tell when he got there. He just really, really eased things for them. He was a, a comforting, calming presence for them. And it shows how much in pro sports, not just in the NHL, but in all pro sports today – the head coach, sure, X's and O's are important, 
but managing the personalities, managing the players, putting guys in situations to get the most out of their skill sets. That's so important. And, and Marty St. Louis really seemed to just speak the language of his players uh, last year. You could tell when he got there that it just really lightened things up in Montreal, even if they knew that they weren't necessarily competing for a playoff spot and that this was very much in the early stages of a rebuild, you could tell there was a comfort and a calmness with Marty St. Louis involved. So I think uh, that was a great move for him and he's going to be a part of this rebuild, part of this process in Montreal for uh, a while moving forward. As you said, we're not trying to pile on them. I think night to night, there is going to be much more excitement, much more to watch in Montreal, but something that they're doing and you mentioned this, Jameson, this isn't tanking. This isn't uh, trying to lose anything to that effect. And I think you see some of this and you have seen some of this from the other teams that we're going to mention as well. A lot of folks talk about this idea, but when you're a team that maybe isn't a contender, you've got to walk that line between where do you bring in a veteran guy to contribute and where do you give that spot to a kid so that you can see what you have or let that kid play and let that kid develop because it, you know you could make you might be able to to give yourself a couple of more wins if you go and sign you know a, a number of veteran guys to one or two year deals just to keep the boat afloat but that might hold a guy in the American Hockey League it might keep a prospect down it might keep a prospect from getting the the minutes he needs to fully develop so that's kind of the the line you have to walk as a general manager and when you're when you're running a team that maybe isn't a contender for the Stanley Cup i think sometimes you err on the side of giving those kids giving the prospects the minutes rather than going out and signing a you know a guy who's 30 years old who's been around the block who might be able to contribute more for your team right now, but also might uh, might hold a guy down or keep a, a prospect from reaching his, his full development potential at the time or on the timeline that you want him to. Yeah, and one of the interesting things about the Canadians as well is even though they're kind of in this rebuild mode, um, they actually don't have a lot of guys on expiring contracts this season. They have, you know, Paul Byron's going to be expiring, Evgeny Dadanov's expiring. But other than that, I mean, guys like Suzuki, Gallagher, Josh Anderson, even Hoffman's got a couple years left, Joel Armia, uh, Rem Pitlick. I, I, there's a lot of guys that have a couple years or multiple years left on their deals right now. So it's not so much they're just getting some bodies in and then they'll figure it out next offseason. They are starting to build the foundation of their rebuilds here with a mix of these young talents and some veterans they think will be good to usher these young talents as they move along. So um, interesting team to watch this season, interesting team to watch at the deadline. Like I said, Dadanov, Byron, two guys you'd expect to be probably added to a contender somewhere at the deadline uh, if the opportunity presents itself. But overall, like we said, the Montreal Canadiens, I think we can both agree, still last in the Atlantic Division, but improvement and the rebuilds moving along. Yeah, there's something there. The groundwork is being laid in Montreal. So uh, we see them still down near the bottom of the standings, but there is certainly reason to be a little bit excited if you're a Canadians fan about yeah. what's being put together. And of course, as we know, as we've seen in the past with these these top tier potential draft picks with a guy like Connor Bedard, they can really expedite a rebuild. And I think mm -hmm. the Canadians know that as well. Yeah, he looks like that kind of player. So we go from the Montreal Canadiens now just uh, a little bit east or west i should say on i believe it's the 401 i think that's the highway there in montreal you would take to get from uh, montreal over to, to ottawa uh montreal to ottawa we go mike hoffman's current team to mike hoffman's uh, original team so the ottawa senators finished with 73 points last season second to last in the atlantic 33 42 and 7 
was their record at the end of the season. You had the, the Senators one point behind Detroit, two points behind Buffalo. So we're going to start getting into three teams here that uh, were very close together in the standings last year. But Ottawa, maybe Jamison, the busiest team, one of the busiest teams in the National Hockey League as far as offseason moves were concerned. They've had a rebuild that's been moving along over the last couple of years. And now it seems like they've gotten to that point where they don't want to just be a rebuilding team or a transitioning team. They want to make a push for a playoff spot. And I think you'll look at it right now from the perspective of a team like Ottawa, Detroit, who will get to uh, maybe Montreal, who we just talked about, although that would be a, a pretty serious improvement if they were to, to flirt with this idea. But we're going into a season where an aging Boston Bruins team has a lot of injuries out of the gate. We'll get to them on next week's episode, but they are going to have some injuries to keep players out of the gate. Uh, Brad Marchand for one is, uh, is going to miss the, the start of the season. Uh, you know, you've had just, you go down that line of Patrice Bergeron. Uh, it was banged up uh, coming out of last year. There were uh, five or six regulars uh, from that Boston lineup that, are going to miss some time potentially to start the year. So the window could be open if Boston struggles and one of these teams that we're talking about has a surge out of the gate to start the season. Ottawa, one of those teams that would love to try and jump the Boston Bruins going into this year. And you can tell Jameson, Pierre Dorian, general manager there in Ottawa, he wants to try and put a team on track to get into the Stanley Cup playoffs. That's what he's looking to do. And they made one of the, the biggest trades on draft day, landing uh, Alex Dabrinkit from the Chicago Blackhawks. It was a, a heck of a move, brought in a score. We'll see if they're able to lock up Dabrinkit long-term. That's going to be something worth keeping an eye on. But Shane Pinto coming back, uh, a guy that they have high hopes for, missed some time due to injury. We can't talk about Ottawa without talking about Brady Kachuk. And I know that's going to add some juice to the uh, Panthers-Senators matchups that we're going to get this season. You have the Kachuk brothers going head-to-head. -head. Thomas Shabbat's turned into a guy on the back end who can play about half the game for you. They made some improvements between the pipes. Is Cam Talbot the kind of goalie that you can uh, ride all the way to uh, to a deep playoff run? I'm not totally sure, but he's a veteran guy that should be able to calm down the team. And Anton Forsberg, the other guy, played admirably last year. So between those two guys, they should get at very least consistency between the pipes. Uh, Jameson, a similar theme here with Ottawa and Detroit, who we're going to get to next. You look up and down these lineups, and we're at a point now with Ottawa and Detroit where they are they are icing on a night-to-night -night basis lineups full of NHL players top to bottom. They had a lot of guys on auditions the last couple of years, but I think that's where these teams are different now. All the forward lines, all the defense pairs, the goaltending options that these teams have, and of course, health could come into play. Uh, Injury is always a factor, but you look at what they're going to start with, and the Senators and the Red Wings both, they have full lineups of guys that belong in the National Hockey League. And that's when teams make that kind of make that transition from rebuild to team hoping to get into the playoffs. Yeah, and the Senators uh, last season, 33, 42, and 7, 73 points, offense 26, defense 22nd. And we'll get into a moment why that defense was 22nd. But like you said, overall, the Senators, I think one of the most exciting teams this offseason really kind of shook up their entire identity with the moves they made. Just like you said, going from a team that's rebuilding to a team that wants to be more competitive. And I'll say they were competitive last year. There was a lot of good games against the Senators last year. But this debt now does put them kind of in the realm, I think, this upcoming season where they could potentially, like you said, push for a playoff spot, sneak in with a wild card and just be a fun team to watch. And I think, I mean, you remember you and I both been here long enough. I think for a long time, the kind of, 
you know, saying you'd have if there's going to be a boring game, you'd say, well, it's not like it's a Tuesday against Ottawa because that in the past was always the most boring game typically. But now a Tuesday against Ottawa is a game I want to see. I want to go to that game. I want to watch that game because Panther Senators is going to be great hockey this season, not just because of the talent on the ice. But like you said, the Kachuk battle, Brady versus Matt's going to be exciting. Claude Giroux coming back facing against the Panthers. The Panthers have a ton of former Senators. I mean, you have Duclair later in the season when he's healthy. You have obviously Colin White. Potentially, if they make the lineup, you're going to have guys like Delzato, Chris Tierney, um, just a ton of former Senators on the Panthers. And like I said, the Kachuk battle is going to be great as well. But if you look at the offseason as a whole here for the Senators, uh, they were fifth in the athletics uh, improvement rankings for the offseason. Uh, like you said, they added Alex Dabrinkit, a guy that scored 40 goals in this league twice. Not a lot of guys can do that, so that's a big add for them. They added Claude Giroux, as I mentioned, and they added Cam Talbot to kind of bolster their net quite a bit. On Out the other way, Matt Murray, Connor Brown, Michael Delzato, Philip Gustafson, Chris Tierney, Adam Gaudet, some of the bigger names there going the other way. And I think, like I said, a lot of really good depth pieces there, but they didn't lose a big star. It, the, the, the stars they already have are still all there. And it's the stars I want to get to because – the most intriguing thing for me as I was kind of looking back at the season for the Senators, just going down their list of leading scores from last season, Brady Kachuk, 67 points, Tim Stutzle, 58 points, Josh Norris, 55 points, Drake Batherson, 49 points. And of course you have Shabbat on the back end. He had a 40 plus point season um, as their number one defenseman back there. All the guys I just mentioned are in their early 20s, not mm -hmm. mid-20s, early 20s. This is a young team with a lot of young talent, a lot of former high draft picks that are really starting to come into their own. I thought all those guys took a step forward last year. I think they're all going to take another step forward again this year. And now you have veterans around them like Dabrinkit, like Claude Giroux, helping them out along the way. So I really like the moves the Senators made. I think they're definitely going to take a big step forward. But another reason I really like them this season to be a team that potentially could snatch a wild card spot is, I mentioned before, 22nd on defense last year. And I'm giving a lot of credit, not to just the physical play of the team. I like how they are. They're an aggressive team. They're agitators. A lot of that's Brady Kachuk. He does a great job of that, just like his brother Matt does and will do here in South Florida. But it's Anton Forsberg, 917 yeah. save percentage in net. He had a lot of good games against the Panthers, big guy between the pipes. And to have a 917 save percentage on a team that finished seventh in the division when you're playing the bulk of the games, that's impressive. He was really impressive last season. And now you had Cam Talbot to back him up. That's a really good one-two punch in net for the Senators. So overall, when you have solid goaltending, when you have a lot of young talent, and when you add veterans in the offseason, proven guys that have done it before in this league, you had a good offseason. So... Dougie, I'm going to say right now, 33, 42, and 7 last year for the Senators, 73 points. I think it's – I don't know what it's going to take to get that second wild card. I think maybe 93, 94 points probably to get that second wild card. I don't know if they're getting there. I'm going to say they finish with maybe 88, 89 points, so a big, nice step there, but maybe just still on the outside looking in. I was thinking the same thing. I could see a, a 15 or so point improvement. I think they're going to have – more wins than regulation losses this season. And that would be a, a big step for them. It would probably put them in that uh, high 80-point realm somewhere in that area. Again, like you said, not sure. And this is a, a bigger question we can get to maybe next week after we've broken down the whole division. Are we going to have a 4-4 four and four split again between the Atlantic and the Metro? Or will one of these two divisions snag that uh, fifth playoff spot, uh, take one from the other division We'll see. But uh, Ottawa, I think there is going to be a noticeable improvement. And this is all going back to the idea that I don't think we're going to see four 100-point teams in this division again. I think we're going to see a bit more of a closing of that gap between the playoff teams and the non-playoff teams in the division. 
I'm with you there. I think the Ottawa Senators could flirt with that 90-point mark, might still be just on the outside looking in, but this is going to be a difficult team night tonight. And the goaltending is the biggest thing. They have guys that they can rely on every single night. That means a lot to a young hockey team. When you have a guy back there that can't make a save, you get the the cases of the here we go again uh, every night. Uh, if you fall behind by a goal or two, it can be a, it can be very tough for a young hockey team. But they've got a couple of veteran guys, and Anton Forsberg really seemed to progress nicely. Uh, they'd love to still see some more development from some guys. I'm a big Josh Norris guy. I think he's an outstanding player. Same thing with Tim Stutzla. So they look like they're going to be strong down the middle as the uh, as the years go forward. They've gotten a lot out of them at uh, young ages. Uh, I know on the back end, they'd like to see another guy probably uh, emerge. We'll see what maybe Eric Brandstrom can do. He's continued to get opportunities there in Ottawa. But uh, there's a lot there. And this is going to be another exciting team to watch night to night. Not sure they're going to jump Detroit just yet. But uh, that's why we're getting to the Detroit Red Wings next year. Uh, they're going to be in this part of the standings. I think both of these teams, I'll tell you this, Jameson, I think I like a lot of what the Buffalo Sabres are doing. But I think Detroit and Ottawa are at least both going to jump Buffalo uh, this year. I think there's just a, a little bit more, a little bit more to the attack uh, when you look at Detroit and Ottawa than what hmm. Buffalo has entering the season. And we'll get into that when we get into our bigger kind of when we're done with all these kind of how the division you know stacks up heading into the regular season. But I think I like the Sabers still more this season. But if I had to invest in the teams next five years, I would pick Detroit and Ottawa over. Buffalo, but I do like where Buffalo's at. Buffalo is no longer the pushover it once was. They're on a good path. They're going to be a good team, at least a good team for a while now here, I think. I don't think they're going to have the doom and gloom years like they had in the past. I think they're finally in a really good spot with some good young talent. But, Doug, moving on to Detroit, our last team of this episode. Like I said, we'll be doing a couple teams each week now. We'll get some guests on moving forward to talk about this as well, leading up to the regular season. But Detroit Red Wings, and that was the team I actually picked last year to surprise and kind of steal a wild card spot. And I think if Jacob Verano would have been there the whole season, maybe they would have done it. I don't know. But regardless, I did like what they were looking like heading into last season. I like them even more this season. Uh, the Athletic likes them a lot. The Athletic had them actually as the top team in terms of offseason improvement and their offseason improvement rankings. Um, and looking at last year, 32, 40, and 10, 74 points. Offense 25th, defense 31st. You look at the key ads they had this offseason. There's a lot of them. They had Billy Huso and Nett, a couple uh, forwards up top, and David Perron and Andrew Kopp, Dominic Kubelik. Mark Pissick uh, is always a solid guy. We love Mark Pissick. Um, injured right now, so he's not going to be there for a good chunk of the season, but a good piece once he does get back on the ice. Austin Zarniak, Olimata, Matt Luff, and Ben Sherratt, who we also know here from the Panthers last season. And going out the other way is only Ole Yalevi, Thomas Grice, and Mark Stahl, who's now coming to the Panthers. Um, Doug, I I think they're such a deep team now, just in terms of like we were talking about before with some of these other teams, just NHL caliber players. They're, they're fielding an NHL caliber players on each and every line, each and every defensive pairing. I, I like that. I like that a lot. Uh, you look at the scores from last year, Dylan Larkin, 69 points. Uh, Bertuzzi, Tyler Bertuzzi, 62 points. Uh, Lucas Raymond, you know, he was in that Calder conversation for a while, 57 points. Mort Sider, 50 points, won the Calder Trophy, of course, as we all know. Um, and I think that's kind of what gives me the most reason to believe in the Red Wings is just the fact they do have a guy in Sider who's a true number one defenseman who can give you 25 minutes a night every single game, who if, as long as he's out there, you know, knock on wood, no injuries for the full 82, he's going to be there in all the big situations, all the big moments, eating up a ton of minutes, playing really solid, you know, defense, offense, both ends of the ice. 
I, I, when you have a piece like that to build behind, build around, kind of like the Panthers did when they got Aaron Ekblad, I think that's a huge boost to your just current prospects, future prospects in terms of your rebuild and how things are looking. But overall, they added a ton of depth pieces I really like. Cop's a good player. Peron's a good player. Larkin's uh, not too young anymore. He's not the young guy he once was. He's kind of entering those prime years now, but obviously still a really, really good player in this league and a guy that can push for 70, 80 points in a good season especially with a good supporting cast and the Red Wings 32, 40 and 10 last year, 74 points. Jameson, we saw Detroit a lot last year and there were some of those nights where you felt like if it wasn't the Larkin Bertuzzi Raymond line doing the damage, then you weren't sure where the scoring was going to come from. And that's not going to be the case for this team this year. That seemed to be the biggest thing that Steve Eisman went out and addressed was to be able to shore up, all four lines so that you can get production across the board. That's what every team wants. Mort Sider looks like he's going to be flirting with Norris trophies, uh, not Calder trophies uh, in the years to come. Now, obviously uh, you can only get the Calder trophies a rookie, but you see what I'm saying. I think he's going to be in that Norris trophy conversation moving ahead. But uh, the big thing for them, uh, you talked about Perron and Kubalik. You can expect to see production across the board now for the Detroit Red Wings, a full lineup of NHL players. But of the teams that didn't make the playoffs in the Atlantic Division last year, unless Carey Price plays, and even if Carey Price plays, we're not sure what kind of level he's going to be at. Of the four teams that missed the playoffs last year, Vili Husso is the best goaltender in that group. He was a free agent signee that, uh, that Detroit made. Steve Eisman went out and shored up the goaltending position. Billy Huso had a really nice year for St. Louis last year. He's going to get the lion's share of the starts. Alex Nedeljkovich, the other option there in Detroit, very capable. But uh, but I think Billy Huso could really be a, a big factor within the Atlantic Division, the kind of goalie that could steal the Red Wings some games on a night-to-night basis. That's going to make a big difference. I think that goaltending for Detroit is going to put them up around that 90-point mark. And there are always expectations in in Detroit. The fans there have been very patient with the rebuild, but I think uh, I think that fan base as well would love to see this team at least be competitive going into that final month of the season. And I think uh, that's what they're going to get this year out of Detroit, of course, uh, health permitting. But uh, injuries can always be a factor, as we've said. But I think Billy Huso is going to bring that team pretty close to a playoff spot. And I think in the final few weeks, they're going to be in that mix. Yeah, and the Panthers fans, obviously, this year all are very well of Billy Huso, just given what he did last season. Uh, two really strong games against the Panthers. There was that one where he had, it was it 50-plus saves, yeah. if I recall. Uh, and the two starts he had against the Panthers last year, a 932 save percentage. Not a lot of goalies look like that against the Panthers last year, considering they were scoring more than four goals a game. So um, I wouldn't say he's necessarily proven yet. He hasn't hit, you know, that 100 games played mark or anything like that. But I do definitely like the potential. And I think for me, that's what's going to define whether or not the Red Wings can push for that playoff spot this year. That second wild card is the goaltending. You look at last year, defense was 31st in the league. A lot of that was because they didn't really have steady goaltending. Nadelkovic kind of took a step back, 901 save percentage, still a fine goaltender, but if Vili Huso can come in and give them 915 save percentage throughout the season, they'll be a much better team. They got, especially with the depth pieces they added up front, they're also going to be better defensively at forward and on defense. Just having a better overall team out there in front of the goaltending is going to help a lot. So, if Billy Huso can be the Billy Huso we saw last season, I do like them to have that second wild card spot and kind of make that push finally and be one of those teams that a lot of people around the league enjoy watching. But and a new impress- head coach in Detroit, we should also make exactly yes. And we we don't really talk about how much of a difference that makes. But Doug, tell us about that new head coach. 
Uh, Derek Lalonde comes in to be the bench boss for Detroit. First head coaching job in the National Hockey League, but he's been a part of John Cooper's staff in Tampa. So he has uh, Stanley Cup experience as an assistant with the Tampa Bay Lightning. He's had success at a lot of different levels over the course of his career. He's coached in the American Hockey League. He's coached in the ECHL. Uh, he's coached at a lot of different levels, and uh, a lot of people are really excited about him. And it was when you look at the coaching hires that were made over the course of this offseason, and there were a lot of vacancies. But the theme of the coaching hires, by and large, that were made in the NHL was experience, how much experience was valued. I think Steve Eiserman knew that the Red Wings were at a point where they didn't necessarily need to go out and get that experienced coach to get him over the hump. They were in a position where they could, they could take a chance on a guy in his first head coaching job, the national hockey league. Obviously Steve Eiserman uh, knows people in Tampa probably had some good uh, references to be able to call up on the phone, but uh, Derek Lalonde comes in as the head coach of the Detroit Red Wings. He's got some great experience. He's seen what it takes to win in the national hockey league. And just mentioning the uh, roster construction, Steve Eiserman has, uh, has, really implemented there in Detroit similar to what he did in the you know you look back early part of the last decade with the Tampa Bay Lightning when they were building things up and they had their young core with Stamkos and Hedman and you know those guys already in place but surrounding them with some capable key veterans that seems to be a little bit of what he's trying to do there in Detroit once again yeah, and I think that's the one of the funnest parts about the Red Wings is just how patient that fan base has been, uh, just trusting the Stevie Y process. And they should. We all saw what he did in Tampa. We all see the improvements this team is making year in and year out. But we always, I mean, you and I talk about this offline quite a bit, is for a team that was so good for so long, the Detroit Red Wings, that fan base has done such a a good job kind of weathering this rebuild. They're, they're, I never hear anyone complaining, and I never hear any anger. They're all kind of, you know what, we were made the playoffs for 20 straight years there. 25. We can imagine 20, it's hard to believe. Really. Yeah, we, we now they're like, you know, we, we can have a couple down years if it gets us back to that again. So uh, they all trust Stevie Y. And like I said, no reason they shouldn't with what, you know, his resume and his track record in the National Hockey League uh, as a general manager. So, Doug, I think we can agree looking at the Red Wings here, 32, 40 and 10 last year, 74 points. I'm going to say they do get to 91, 92, and they either just make it or miss the playoffs by two or three points. Yeah, I think we're going to see the the cutoff for a playoff spot in the Atlantic drop a little bit. I don't think it's going to be 107 points like it was last year. That was a true anomaly, but I think that's the big thing. And I think for the Detroit Red Wings, that would and for the fans. I think that would be a victory for them this year. I think they're going to be playing meaningful games. Every game's meaningful, obviously, but they're going to be playing meaningful playoff race type games in the final two, three weeks of the year. They're going to be in it right until the end, I think. And uh, if, again, if they can get a good start and the Boston Bruins are slow out of the gate, that could be the opportunity that, uh, that they need to try and get back into the Stanley cup playoffs. But I think the uh, 90 point threshold is certainly in reach for the Detroit Red Wings heading into this year. So I think safe to say, you look at the Atlantic division, the teams at the bottom from last year, they all look like they're going to make improvements heading into the new season. We touched on three of them today, Montreal, Ottawa, and Detroit still to go. We've got Buffalo, of course. We've got Boston, Tampa Bay, Toronto, and the Panthers. So we'll touch on the rest of the Atlantic division in the coming weeks as uh, we have our Atlantic division previews over the uh, next couple of shows. So don't miss that. Thanks for listening to Territory Talk wherever you find your favorite podcast, Spotify, all the other platforms. I guess I was naming platforms that didn't still exist. Uh, I'm so technologically advanced, so we had that uh, recently. But Nothing new there. 
Yeah, floridapanthers.com slash territory talk. That's a safe starting point for you. You can't go wrong. I want to thank all of you for sticking around with us here all the way through this episode of Territory Talk as we take you through the Atlantic Division. We'll continue doing so in the coming weeks. For Jamison Olive, I'm Doug Plagans. Territory Talk is always presented by Baptist Health, the official sports medicine provider of the Florida Panthers. Folks, this has been Territory Talk, and we'll talk to you next week. 